0: The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at StoneOakBible.com. This morning, if you have your Bibles, you can grab them. And open with me to the 56th psalm. 56th psalm. While you're getting there, I do want to give you a heads up on where we're actually heading uh, as a church together. Um, this morning, actually, we finish up our, our time this summer in the Psalms. And uh, don't worry, we'll be back next summer. That's kind of our rhythm. Uh, But beginning next week, we are going to take three weeks to look at a powerful and small and often overlooked little-known book in the New Testament, the book of Philemon. So starting next week, we are going to be in uh, Philemon for three weeks. Then on August 1st, we're going to finish out our summer uh, in the book of Revelation. You hear that and you're like, Pastor, that's a lot to do in the end of a summer. But here's the deal. Here's what we're doing. Um, It's starting on August 1st. We are going to focus in on chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, and we are going to dig into and look at the seven churches in the book of Revelation. I cannot wait. This is going to be, this is going to be fun. It's going to be convicting. It's going to be fun. I cannot wait. Um, and that will take us all the way into the fall starting in sept- on September 19th. We'll be back into Romans where we've been for about a year and a half, two years. We're going to continue right where we left off. So, so September 19th, we'll click back in and drop right back into to Romans. So How cool is that, by the way, that we get the opportunity to come to God's word like this and and get to do this each week? I, Oh, it doesn't get old. Um, But I am excited for this morning to be in Psalm 56. I was drawn to this psalm for so many reasons. Um, I know that we're coming off of two weeks now of Psalms of Lament. This is going to continue on. In that. This too is a psalm of lament coming from a really difficult part of David's life. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, before we jump into context, listen, this psalm brings out a couple, I mean, bom- theological bombs that uh, this psalm kind of builds on. So here's what I'd like to do. It's going to be rich, but I, what I would like to do is just to kind of bring out two theological concepts. And then we're going to build on it together as we walk through uh, the psalm. So the first one is this: our God is transcendent. Our God is transcendent. That means, church, that He is He's above His creation. He's above it. He is a, He is a holy other. He is all powerful. He is all knowing. He is He, he created. All things out of nothing, he is not bound by time or space, transcendent. Our God is is transcendent, perfectly righteous, glorious, sovereign, reigning above it all. Here's what that means. He's not in our category. Um, he's He's in a league of his, all on his own. Our God is transcendent. The second part of this, though, is our God is imminent. Imminent. Now, um, this is not to be, go ahead and go to the next slide. This is not to be confused with imminent or imminent. I'm talking about imminent. So (laughs) this imminent, spell with an I, it means something close, like Jesus' return. Imminent, it's coming soon. That's awesome. Not what we're talking about, though. Eminent here is like what you, your imminency. It's a title, also not talking about that. Uh, I'm talking about I-M-N, or I-M-M-A-N-E-N-T. Imminent, our God is imminent. You can go to the next one. Um, the dictionary definition of this is, is existing or operating within. So when we think of our God being imminent, Imminent, what we're talking about here is God's relationship with the world that he created. We're talking about the fact that our God actively operates within the world he created. That's awesome. He's imminent. He's near. He's continually present. He sustains. Uh, he he is he is everywhere, always present in the world he created. Uh, it's, the imminence of God is, is all about our God being near, being near with us. Um, that's imminence. So here's the deal, though. These two theological concepts have to be kept together as two sides of the very same coin. Because if they're not, it leads you to some crazy places you don't wanna go. Um, for example, if you, if you only see your God as being transcendent, it's gonna lead you to a heresy called deism, where deism says God created the world, he wound that sucker up, and now he sits back on his throne and just lets it all go. He's not in, he's above, and he just sits there. He's too holy to get his hands dirty with your mess He just sits on his throne and he lets the world go. He's above it. Here's the problem, though. This does not allow us to see our God as a deist would. More than that, um, the work of Jesus just totally obliterates this idea where our God, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, God got his hands dirty he became man he became like us that's that just you can't you can't you can't hold that view so so you can't swing the pendulum over here but here's the deal you also can't just be walking around like my god's imminent and that's it you can't swing the pendulum over there because that also leads to another heresy called pantheism or panantheism which means god is everywhere he's in all things he is all things. When I see God's creation, I see God. This is actually a pretty popular way of thinking about God uh, in our day. Um, but it's the idea he's so imminent that he is, that, he, that he's here. Here's, here's the deal. Again, this just doesn't allow us to see our God that way. Doesn't allow us to see our God that way. This teaches again and again that our God is sovereign and over creation, transcendent, but also imminent and close, Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. You have to have them both, and I and I want to be clear here because it's not that our God says, "Today I'm going to be transcendent. Tomorrow I'll drop in, and I'll be in, I'll be imminent." No. The Bible talks about our God being fully, completely, perfectly transcendent and imminent at the same time, all the time, forevermore. That's what our, our Bible says. And, and, and this is so important. Um, our God, transcendent, imminent, at the same time, sovereign and distinct over his creation, and at the same time, near Emmanuel, God with us. At the same time, always and forever, here's the deal. The beauty of this is that the way we see this will impact the way that you and I navigate through difficult times in our life. The way that we see this, the way we understand this, let me get specific here, will impact the way we deal with fear. And we're going to see that in our psalm today. The way we see this is going to impact the way that we handle fear. In our psalm today, we're going to see David crying out to God in a horrible, weird situation with a lot of fear. But he's crying out to, in this lament, to his holy transcendent and imminent God. And that changes everything. Everything. So, Having said that, with that foundation, let's get into some context. Let's immerse ourselves a little bit. Um, you don't have to turn with me here, but in 1 Samuel, in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 20, David just got warned. Hey, David, Saul, is, he's seeking to kill you, so hide. Better yet, flee. Get out of here, right? He's coming off of that. Then, then. In, in the very next chapter, we read that's exactly what David does. He runs. He flees. He gets out of there. So in, in verse 10 of, of uh, 1 Samuel 21, it says, David rose, fled that day, and went to Achish, the king of Gath. But here's the deal. When he went there, the servants of the king, they saw him, and they recognized him. They said, isn't this dude the one who is like the man for Israel, the one who they were singing about in the streets, about him slaying the 10,000s. I mean, they recognize him. They say, come on, this is David. They have songs about this guy. So we read, he's apprehended. From one enemy to another for David. What's that saying that out of the frying pan and into the fire? That's David here, just bouncing from one to another. Um, this is the last thing David wanted, to be an unprotected foreign king in the hands of a foreign enemy. And here he is. And, and verse 12 says, David, he heard these words, and, and it says he was much afraid, much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. And it's in the midst of this, this fear that David comes up with an awesome, brilliant, crazy plan. Right here in the midst of this fear, verse 13. So he, that is David, changes his behavior before them, pretends to be insane, makes marks on the doors of the gate and lets spittle run down his beard. That is brilliant. Just absolutely brilliant. So David, king, royal David, purple robes, is now acting crazy with spittle (laughs) what is going on but this is him and apparently this crazy thing works because i love verse 14 the king says to his servants behold you see this man is is mad he's crazy why did you bring him to me verse 15 do i lack (laughs) madmen that's so good That you brought me another? Um, To behave like a madman in my presence, shall this fellow come into my house? In other words, come on now. Um, Have you ever been in a place where you just look around and you're like, what has life become? This is insane. King David, spittling, acting crazy. You're just like, what is going on? How could I be in this situation? For David, this is not a safe place to be. For David, his future is completely uncertain. For David, there's just no security to be found. So he's slobbering and he's acting crazy to save his his life. And um, here's the cool thing. In the craziness of this moment, David writes this psalm. In that amount of fear that makes you go crazy, he's writing this psalm. He writes this in the first two verses of our psalm. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. This is not hyperbole, by the way, for David. This is reality. He's not spiritualizing things here. This is is life. Skip down with me, verse 5. All day long, they injure my cause, and all their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life for their crime. Will they escape in wrath, cast down the peoples of God. Make it rain, David says. So here, David is, is crying out to God in the midst of his pain and uncertainty and fear. Crying out to God. He cries out here, things stink. That's the theological term for what he's going through right now. Things stink. He's crying out to God. He's crying, and he cries out, take them down. I, like, don't miss this. He says, in wrath, cast them down. So in other words, come in, intercede, and don't be nice about it. Like, smite them. He's crying out. Defend me, O God. Defend me, O God. Now, forgive me for jumping around just a little bit. Uh, but before we get to David's refrain that we see in verses 3 and 4, and then again in 10 and 11, before we get there... I want us to first look at verses eight and nine because church, I believe this is the heart of it all. Everything hinges on this one. This one has wrecked me this week. Verse eight, you have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. I don't know about you, but that's enough. How many know what it's like to toss and turn? How many know what it's like to face a fear that makes it impossible for you to sleep? How many know what it's like to face pain and struggles and trials and uncertainty so much that it brings you to tears? How many know what it's like to face that kind of fear, that kind of disappointment, discouragement? And David says, in this moment, God, you were there with me every single time I tossed and turned every single time when i was tossing in my bed alone i was not alone because you were there and you were keeping count you were present when i wept i was not alone i was never alone this is the imminence of our god on display in this text this is nearness this is closeness this is intimacy David here, his understanding of God was not just that he's up there somewhere indifferent, sitting on his throne. That wasn't how David viewed his God. He he understood that his God was not uninterested or too busy or uninvolved. He understood that his God is the great comforter, that his God is the great counselor of our souls, He understood that, and you might hear this, and you might think, okay, I hear you, pastor, but you're talking about David. I am not David. Surely, God can't jump off his throne every time I weep. I got to tell you, church, the news for you this morning is far greater than I would even put before you, than it was for David, And the reason I say this is because now, because of the work of Jesus Christ, Scripture has told us that your God has sent his spirit to dwell in you, with you. He's here. And and now we've been given this privilege through Jesus to be united with him. Again, the theological word, awesome. Awesome. This is awesome. This is incredible. In Jesus, nearness to God is now your birthright. That's right. It's not something that the, you know, the professional higher tier Christians get. It's all the children of God right. have a loving father. Right. Let's just take this in Jesus' words. In John, he says, I, I'm gonna, I ask the Father, he's going to give you another helper, he says. He's going to give you another helper who will be with you forever. And he, and he says, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I mean, oh, that is the eminence of our God. All right, I have one more verse. I, I wasn't going to do it, but I, I will. Uh, Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4 tells us we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, that Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast now to our confession, for we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as you have, but without sin. Without sin. And then it says, let us draw near, near with confidence that we will receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Your God, who does not lie, told you that. This is just incredible. Going back to verse 8 in our in our. In our psalm, you have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle, are they not in your book? Church, your God is near. He is near to the broken. He comforts those who mourn. He he gives rest and he gives strength to those whose strength is fading. This is who your God is. And listen to the last phrase in verse 9. He said, my enemies, they're gonna turn back on that day I call." He says, this I know that God is for me. This I know that God is for me. For me. This I know, one more time. This I know that my God is for me. Do you know that this morning? Do you believe that this morning? Is this not exactly what Paul said in Romans? That what should we say to all these things? If our God is for us, who could be against us? Paul says. Who could be against? I know that my God is for me. Sometimes I think it is easier to believe that the sovereign God of the universe is working all things, creating all things, just 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 doing amazing things out there, miraculous things out there, that he is big, that he is transcendent. I think it's sometimes easier to believe that than it is sometimes for us to believe in the simple truth that your God is for you. You might think, I'm kind of broken. How could he be for me? I kind of annoy myself. How is he not annoyed by me? This is the whole point of the gospel, church. The whole point of the gospel is is he is not for you because of what you've done for him. He is not for you because what you will do for him. He is not for you because of how great you are. Church, as a child of God, you can say with complete, I mean complete confidence, you can say with complete confidence, because of what God has told you in this, You can say with complete confidence that he is for you because his great love for you that was demonstrated to you by sending Jesus to die for you when you were dead in the midst of your sin. We we know because of this that he is for us, that his grace and mercy know no end. They never end. We know that he is for you, and he is not for you because of your merit. We know this. We know that he is for you because of his grace. Because of his, his grace, he loves you perfectly and completely. And he secured that love forever through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for you. This is the heart of the gospel. This I know that my God is for me. This is the heart of the gospel. As a child of God, your God is for you because your God is that good. Now, I wanna bring us back to to kind of where we began this morning. Um, So my my proposal uh, to you is that the way that we understand our God, being both transcendent and imminent, the way we understand that will impact the way that we handle fear when we understand he is perfectly transcendent and perfectly imminent all the time, every time, forever, that changes the way you and I approach fear. So with that in mind, let's look at our refrain now for David in uh, in first in verses three and four. He says this, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Verse 10, 11. In God whose word I praise. In the Lord whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? In God, whose word I praise, whose promises are true and unchanging, who gave, who gave us this. And God, I trust, I praise, I, and because of that, I will not be afraid. And he asked the question in verse 4, so what's flesh going to do to me? And he asked in verse 10, uh, 11, so, so what, what's man? What's man going to do to me? Church, this right here, that is some perspective. That is some eternal perspective right there for us. If God is for you, and if he holds your future, your salvation, your soul in his hand, since he holds you in his hand, then what on earth or in heaven do you have to fear? What could possibly raise to the level of fear. I I don't know about you, but I I spend, personally, a crazy amount of time worrying and being anxious about things that will not matter this time next year. This time next month, let's be honest, this time tomorrow. David here is drawing up his eyes. Just from what he sees, drawing up his eyes from the here and now, drawing up his eyes to God and his plan. He's drawing up his, his eyes. And, and I really I want to be careful here because I don't want you to hear me wrong. Um, I am not trying in any way to downplay struggle or hardships that we face today. In no way am I trying to do that. In fact, the situation for David, as we talked about, was rather bleak. I am not trying to downplay that. As a Christian, you will go through trials. And if you've been lied to and told that you won't, I am sorry. That was not true. As Christians, we will face trials. We will face them. I am not downplaying them. I will not downplay them. But here is where, where I'm, I'm seeing David in this psalm. See, our view of our God and our view of our problems often have an inverse relationship. It's like a seesaw. When one goes up, the other one goes down. And it's not to say these problems aren't great. It's just to say when we see the greatness of our God, it just, they have an inverse relationship. So when we see our problems as huge, oftentimes, that's accompanied by a rather small God. And at the same time, when we see our God as huge, often. That's accompanied by a proper perspective of our problems. So they have this inverse relationship here. So here in this text, David, he's not downplaying the struggle and the fear. He's not doing that. He's not downplaying that at all. He's just getting his perspective right of his God. He's just making sure he's got a good view of who his God is. And in light of that, In fact, he's, he's drawing his eyes up to see his God, who is both transcendent above all things and imminent with him through all things. And when we see that, when we see that, when, our, when we make sure that our view of God is big enough, when we do that, we navigate through trials differently Because fear is just not able to get the footing it once did. I'm not saying you're going to be Superman and never fear. No, you're going to deal with fear the rest of your life. So you see Jesus and all fear is gone. You're going to deal with fear. I'm not saying it won't be there. But what I'm saying is it just doesn't have a good footing. Up next to a big view of who our God is, both transcendent and imminent. And so with David, we can say, in God I trust I will not be afraid. What, what can man do to me? I was reminded that this what can man do to me is uh, something Jesus actually said. It, it appears in Luke 12 where he makes a statement. He says, I, I tell you, my friends. He says, don't fear those who can kill the body and after they do that, have nothing more that they can do. Don't fear those. And he goes on and he says, but I will warn you who you need to fear. Jesus says, fear him who after he's killed you has the authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Jesus, that doesn't sound very comforting. Then he says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs on your head are numbered, all of them, as many or as few as, as you might might have. Fear not, for you are of more value than many sparrows. What is, what is Jesus saying here? He says, listen, don't fear man, don't fear what's temporary. Don't do that. Don't fear that. What you do need to fear is you need to fear the Creator, the one who has the power and authority over all things. Fear him. And and again, we hear that and we think, well, oh, I don't like that. But then he goes on and he say, Let me tell you about that creator. Let me tell you about him. Your creator, your God, he cares enough for you to number the hairs on your head. I'm a dad. I have three boys, and they are awesome. I love them. I'll protect them. But you know what? I've never taken the time to count their hair. (laughs) Nor will I. Nor will I. Your God loves you so thoroughly, so completely, so perfectly, that he's got them numbered. And I love this because the remedy for fear is is trusting the Lord. And I wanna bring this, again, let's bring it back to make sure we have an understanding of who our God is that we are trusting. Because in this Psalm, David, he's trusting in the Lord who is transcendent. What that means for David is he knows he's all powerful, he's above all things, he's in charge, he's sovereign. He knows that his God is able to step in and fix it all. He knows that. He knows that his God is, is above it all, sees it all, that his God is big in control over all nations, over all peoples. He gets this big view of God. He knows that in all things, hear me, his God's bigger. I mean, he's got spittle running down his beard, thinking he's going to die. And he knows his God's bigger. He's got this big view of his God. His God is big. He knows that, but that's not all he knows. At the same time, the same God he trusts is imminent. And what that means for David is David knows that his God is personal, and present. For David, he knows his God is near. Like David, when we see and understand our God is, is imminent and transcendent, we know he is present enough to count how many times you toss and you turn at night. You know that your God is close enough to gather your tears. You know that your God is caring enough to count the hairs on your head. You know this, and there is power in this. When we know God's transcendent power that he is able to save, and we know his imminent present that he cares enough to save, when we know these two things, that our God is both powerful and present, (laughs) who or what do we have to fear? What can man do? What can flesh do? What can anything do in light of that truth? So like David, we say, I'm not afraid because I put my trust in you who is both transcendent and eminent. In God whose word I praise, I trust, I will not be afraid, and I know this, I know this, this I know, he says, that God is for me. And in light of this, I want to finish with David's words. Uh, Verse 12, verses 12 and 13 He says, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. I love finishing with these verses because it gives us some action to take as as we have journeyed through this psalm right in the midst of the struggle regardless of what you and I face regardless of what you're facing right now listen whatever it is that you are facing right now your god is both transcendent and eminent both powerful and present and because that is true we get to walk through these verses and see a couple of things the first is this that we walk in obedience Here in this text, if you look at it, David is saying, because my God is transcendent over all things, powerful over all things, and because my God is imminent and present with me through all things, he says, I'm not going to be afraid because I know my God is for me. And instead of that fear, verse 12, I must perform my vows to you, O God. This is obedience, This is David walking in obedience before the Lord when he didn't have the answers, when the spittle was fresh on his beard. This is obedience, not waiting for deliverance first, but this is walking with and being obedient to God in the midst of it. He starts now. For those of you in a tough situation, If you're facing one right now, for those of you who will face one in the future, listen, when you don't know what to do, when you cannot fix the problem, just start with simple obedience to what God has told you to do. I know you hear that and you say, Pastor, I wanted a better answer than that. But listen, when you don't know what to do, and life is hard, start with what you know. Start with simple obedience to the Lord. It's like the movie Frozen 2. Some of you know exactly what I'm going to say. There's this song, The Next Right Thing. It's kind of like that. You don't know what's going to happen, so you do the next right thing and obey. The Lord. Walk in obedience. Right in the midst of the lament. Walk in obedience. We exchange fear for obedience. And the second is we walk in gratitude. Again, David in this text says, Because you know, my God is transcendent, all powerful over all things, because my God is imminent, present with me in all things, because of that I am not afraid, because my God is for me. And so instead of that fear, Verse twelve, I'm going to render thank offerings to you. Uh, in the trials, as God's people, you and I, we can still have grateful hearts. In fact, we must. We we must. Gratitude is is powerful because it can change our whole disposition. Um, I don't know if you've ever done this, and. Uh, I honestly think this will benefit every one of us, okay? This is for, for all of us, but sometime today or tomorrow, I mean this, take out a piece of paper, and if you're feeling like really ambitious, get a big piece of paper. If you want to start small, get a small one, and just on that paper, start to write out things that you are thankful for. Just write it down. Nothing is too big, nothing is too small. Just write it all down, fill the page. Nothing is too small. Then after you've done that, after you've done that, here's my challenge. Do exactly what David did in the Psalm. So come to your Lord in prayer with that paper. And and because he's transcendent and powerful over all things, and also because he's imminent and present with you, in all things, say to him in prayer, say, I will not be afraid. And instead of fear, I give thanks for, hey, I am grateful for, yeah. I am thankful for. And I just want you to say it out loud. Right. Just let it flow out. And, and, and just what an awesome moment of worship that is, by the way. Just let it come off the page, into the eyes, and out your mouth before your God. That, let's all do that. I think that, that let's all commit to doing that. So we walk in obedience. We, we walk in gratitude. And lastly, we walk in the light. Um, David here, again, since God's transcendent, powerful over all things, since he's imminent present with us in all things. I will not be afraid. Again, verse nine, I know my God's for me. So instead of that fear, verse 13, walk before God in the light of light. I I love this because, and don't miss this, as dark as things might be, as dark as they might be, As a child of God, this is the coolest thing. You are not dependent on external light. Like, you can walk through dark spaces because you're not dependent on the light of that space. The Word of God says you have the light in you, that God is with you and for you. And no matter the darkness, no matter the darkness, that means when, we get, when it gets dark around you, when the world around you is dark, you always have light. God is always and forever with you. Our God is transcendent over all things, imminent with us in all things, and because our God is for us, we will not be afraid. So instead, we walk in obedience. So instead of fear, we walk in gratitude. And so instead of fear, we walk in the light.